On February 23, 2022, the Russian Federation violated the territorial integrity of Ukraine for the second time in a decade, calling it a special military operation. It certainly looks more like a war, but is it? That is the subject of this episode of The Ancient Art of Modern Warfare. Welcome to Episode 67 of The Ancient Art of Modern Warfare. I'm Chris Mayer, retired U.S. Cavalry Colonel, former instructor of the U.S. Army's Command and General Staff College, the Naval War College, and currently contract faculty for the Army War College. These podcasts introduce what I believe are enduring lessons of war, lessons for every citizen to use in exercising their role in our country's deliberations about war, peace, and everything in between. Now, these episodes are not monetized or sponsored, not even by you, the listeners. So if you'd like these episodes to continue, if you think these are worthwhile, then please do not hesitate to hit like and let me know. Back in episode 7, titled, What is War?, I described various definitions of the word war. These include those proposed by the father of international law, Hugo Grotius, the German military philosopher, Karl von Clausewitz, the International Committee of the Red Cross, abbreviated ICRC, and the Department of Defense's Law of War Manual, which admitted there is no single legal definition of war, hostilities, or armed conflict. Why is there no common definition? One difficulty is four words of 150 in the ICRC definition, the Red Cross definition. And those words are regulated by international law. Although what a war is may seem obvious, there is a distinction between the legal construct of war and war in the real world. This leads to the Korean War being called a police action, the Vietnam War being a conflict, and in fact the general use of the term armed conflict in place of the word war. And so, the Russian invasion of Ukraine is a special military operation. So, what are the advantages of avoiding calling a thing by what it really is? Now, before I go into that, I think that we can all agree that common sense tells us that the Russian Federation is at war with Ukraine, no matter what Moscow, or for that matter, the Red Cross wishes to call it. Just to be clear about that, I'll analyze it by the Grotius and Clausewitz definitions. Grotius wrote that war is the condition of those contending by force. Now, I think that's exceptionally clear and applicable. For Clausewitz, he wrote, War is an act of violence to compel the enemy to do our will. Now, this is a bit more nuanced. Now, what's going on in Ukraine is clearly an act of violence. But what's the point of the war? What is the will that Moscow is seeking to impose? At the start of the invasion, Putin described Russia's objective as defending the Donbass, a part of Ukraine separated from Kiev's control in 2015 and not recognized as an independent country by the UN or almost any other country than Russia. Now, to achieve this purpose, to defend the Donbass, Russia invaded Ukraine all along the border it shares with Russia or otherwise occupied by Russia in 2014 to 2015. Russia's declared end state includes what Putin described as unconditional consideration for Russia's legitimate interests in the sphere of security, which includes recognizing Russia's sovereignty over Crimea, 
demilitarization and so-called denazification of Ukraine and ensuring Ukraine's neutral status. Now, things didn't work exactly the way that Putin expected them to, and so by the end of June 2022, it became rather clear that Russia was unlikely to achieve its original goals. So Putin's declared war aims changed to the liberation of Donbass, the defense of its people, and the creation of conditions which would guarantee the security of Russia itself. Now, there's no problem with changing war aims if the original war aims are unattainable. So demilitarization and denazification was changed to creating conditions that would guarantee the security of Russia. But what conditions will guarantee the security of Russia? Another change was regarding the Donbass, since Russia eliminated its independence by annexing it. What does that say about other regions that Russia may want to defend? Would Russia be content with victory in Ukraine, or will it want to defend other independent countries that were once part of the Russian Empire? Nonetheless, what is going on in Ukraine is war, as understood in the sense that facts match reality. The conditions described by Grotius and Clausewitz have been met. It is an act of violence intended to get the Ukrainian government to submit to Moscow's will. Putin has expressed that will, although specific goals were modified in the face of reality. Reality and legality, however, are not always the same. So, is this a war in the legal sense? And if so, does that make a difference? Now comes the ICRC, which, at the heart of its 150-word definition of war, reads, quote, armed hostilities between two or more states carried on by their armed forces and regulated by international law. Let's take those last four words first. What is happening in Ukraine should be regulated by international law. Despite calling it a special military operation, the laws and customs of war, sometimes called International Humanitarian Law or IHL, are in effect. Common Article 2 of the Geneva Conventions is clear about that. It says that the conventions apply, quote, to all cases of declared war or of any other armed conflict which may arise between two or more of the high contracting parties, even if the state of war is not recognized by one of them. For the purposes of the Geneva Conventions, high contracting parties are understood to mean the countries who are actually fighting the war. If the obligations under the law of war already apply, why does Russia not want to declare that a state of war exists? For that matter, why have all of the major powers since the end of World War II avoided declaring a state of war in any of the armed conflicts they found themselves in? There are real advantages to an official declaration that a state of war exists. For one, it clearly establishes that a change in international relationships has occurred. It establishes that the lex specialis of the law of war applies and that conflicting human rights law will be subordinated to military necessity. A declaration of war also makes it clear that the provisions of the Geneva Conventions apply, which may provide protections to civilians and military alike that may be absent in a normal legal regime. In many countries, including both Russia and the United States, a formal declaration of war gives the president or head of government 
a wide range of authorities in furtherance of the war effort. A state of war allows enemy combatants to be killed wherever they are, prisoners to be taken, enemy property seized or destroyed, enemy aliens interred, and other measures necessary to subdue the enemy and impose the will of the warring state. Additionally, commercial relations are terminated and most of the treaty obligations existing between the warring states cease to be in effect. Except for international humanitarian law, or the laws and customs of war, they remain in effect. Furthermore, a declaration of war kicks in the law of neutrality. The law of neutrality is itself part of the laws and customs of war. The law of neutrality, and particularly as described in the 13th Hague Convention, is intended to prevent additional states from being drawn into an armed conflict by establishing a clear distinction between belligerent and neutral states. That convention states that, quote, the supply in any manner, directly or indirectly, by a neutral power to a belligerent power of warships, ammunition, or war material of any kind is forbidden, unquote. Now, one would suppose that Russia would be eager to impose the law of neutrality on NATO states providing material and financial support to Ukraine. Well, despite the clear text in the law of neutrality, some countries, including the United States, argue that neutral states may discriminate in favor of states that were victims of wars of aggression. For example, before its entry into World War II, the United States adopted a position of so-called qualified neutrality, claiming that neutral states have the right to support belligerent states that had been the victim of flagrant and illegal wars of aggression. Now, that right is not clear in the existing laws of armed conflict, and one could imagine Russia exercising its right under that Hague Convention to stop and search neutral ships appearing to go to Ukrainian ports looking for and seizing war material or bringing charges against states known to be supplying war materiel to Ukraine. Despite the concept of qualified neutrality, a formal declaration of war along with notice that the laws of neutrality are in effect, would complicate NATO support to Ukraine. So, given these advantages, why does Russia continue to use the term special military operations? In previous podcasts, I quoted Winston Churchill in describing Russia as a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma. This is as true today as when Churchill first made his statement. So, anything I say will be little more than a guess. My guess, however, is that Putin believes that the risks of declaring war outweigh any potential benefits. For one, Putin argues that the government in Kiev is illegitimate. In fact, he argues that the entire country of Ukraine is illegitimately separate from Russia. Declaring war could be seen as giving Ukraine and the Kiev government the legitimacy that Moscow seeks to deny to it. A second consideration may be that Putin is operating under the belief that as long as he pretends it is not a war, he can deny that international humanitarian law applies to his special military operation. Now, this is clearly untrue, but Russia is a past master of twisting the words of treaties and conventions to justify its actions. Another reason 
could be wanting to avoid escalation of the war with NATO. Although Putin tells his people that NATO is at war with Russia, he wants to avoid that reality. Declaring war would force NATO into making a decision about being truly neutral or becoming a belligerent. Neither choice is palatable to NATO or its member countries, but he doesn't know how they will decide, and I don't either. He may also face domestic pressures not to declare war. A declaration of war must begin in the Duma, the lower chamber of parliament, and be approved by the Federation Council, the upper chamber. The Russian parliament may reject giving Putin even more power. They too understand that the NATO response will be unpredictable at best. Putin will not submit that motion to parliament unless he is certain of a positive result. But these are my guesses. They might all be true, some or none. It could be something else entirely. What I think is clear is that by any common definition, Russia is at war with Ukraine and it has specific political objectives it intends to achieve by that use of force and violence. Now, Ukraine has its own objectives, which it has also made clear. Further, it is clear that although a formal state of war does not exist, the international legal obligations apply to both sides in the current armed conflict. The question is how will we be able to hold Russia accountable for its actions under the law of war? In the next episode of this series, I will address why we should care about this most recent invasion and the effects of the invasion on international peace and security. So watch for the next posting and join me on the ancient art of modern warfare.